All right. Very thankful to be here tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks, Brother Andrew, for grabbing those. I don't know which pulpit I want to preach from yet. So I just said, let's get three, and I'll decide later. So um, here we are. I might just use this one. That'll be okay. No, this summer was amazing. And so just a little little re- recap of even getting there. I, I, so about a year, two years ago, I was interning here at RBC. And I really, to be completely honest, I wanted to visit Brother Chuck's church. I, I really did. And so I was just praying for God to just open a door that I can go visit them at some time. And I never really told anybody. I just wanted to visit Brother Chuck. He had a major influence in me personally and spiritually. He was my school principal for a time and my youth pastor. And so he helped me a lot. And I just wanted to go visit his church. And so I began praying that God would just open an opportunity. And uh, about a year later, he sends me to Heartland. So, <laughs> amen. Um, and so I went to Heartland Baptist Bible College. And about two weeks there at Heartland, I get a phone call from Brother, Brother Nicholson, and he, he said, would you, would you be willing to pray about coming and visiting us this summer and just interning? And uh, I said, Brother, I've been thinking about it, and I already prayed about it, so <laughs> I would absolutely love to. And God opened that door, and he let me go up there and, and uh, see the ministry. I will say a church of 30 and 40 is a lot different than, than a church this size, and so there's things you do differently, and there's some things that are not doctrinally, it's all the same, Absolutely. You know, we're Baptist, but it was, it was awesome to see it. It was awesome to be able to be there with Brother Chuck, and uh, I, I, I loved it. And uh, my, my favorite part, I think the first time I went there, the thing I noticed were the kids. And uh, there's about 11 or 12 kids there, and, and the kids were all, they're all great friends. And they're all different ages, but they all included one another, and they loved one another. And you know whenever, if you look at a church and you see their kids, and you know that the kids are unified and they all love each other, then you know that their parents probably love each other too. And so it was, it was really exciting to be able to work with the kids. And my last Sunday there, um, I was there fellowshipping and shaking hands in the lobby. And I see one of the kids come up, one of the, one of the younger girls, and she's wearing a red T-shirt. And red's my favorite color. And they, the kids picked up on that, and they all knew that my favorite color was red. I probably wore it too much. Anyway, so they said that my favorite color was red, and they knew that. And so one by one, they all st- they're all walking in wearing red. And I walk by in the nursery, and I look inside, and all the babies are wearing red. And I'm like, wow, we're all wearing red tonight. And then that was the one night I didn't wear red. I was wearing yellow. Like, why? <laughs> we look like ketchup and mustard, but I, it's okay. Lord knows. And so we all took pictures, and I got multiple letters. And I, I, I'm going to be honest, I got a whole lot more than I gave. But that's what happens when you just say, God, here's my life, and if you'll use it, I'll let you. If, if, if you'll use it, I'll just let you. It's not that I'm anything. It's just the fact, God, if you want to use my life, I'll let you. And so he did, and I'm, I'm very grateful, and I'm very grateful to be here. And uh, tonight, I want to I preach on a topic, and many of you all have asked, and I want to just pause real quick. Everybody I had to lie to about the fact that I wasn't preaching tonight, I want to apologize publicly. <laughs> um, I thought it was a no-brainer on Wednesday night, and every, I think all of y'all are like, Cole's preaching. It's him. It's him. He's going to do it. And so all y'all who came up to me, and I just laughed at you, and I said, I love how you think it's me. You know, I'm sorry for lying. And so I just, I needed to get that off my chest, you know, before I, you know, open the Word of God. I kind of have to be prepared. So anyway, very thankful you all are here tonight. I'm going to preach on a topic tonight and on a subject that over the past, for quite a while, but it's specifically in the eight months I've been gone, gone, God has really worked in my life in this area. And I'm really nervous to preach on it, to be completely honest with you. But I want to, I hope it'll be a help to you. It has definitely been a huge help to me. And um, just growing, growing closer to God, knowing Him more. That's what it's all about. That's the Christian life. You're never going to arrive. Even Paul said that. But it's a continual growth and just step by step. And this is the step that I've learned or that I, I'm still learning. 
just to be completely honest. Take your Bibles with me tonight. We're going to be in Ezra chapter number 7. Once you find your place, please go ahead and stand with me. Ezra chapter number 7. You'll find there at the beginning of the chapter, there are five verses. Those five verses I'm not going to read. Just so you know, if you want to read them to yourself, you can. I'm not going to read those. I don't want to embarrass myself as I strive to pronounce names. Um, But we're going to start there in verse number (laughs) 6. Praise the Lord. Verse number 6. Ezra chapter 7, verse number 6. The Bible tells us... I still hear hear pages turning. I'll give you a second. Ezra chapter number 7 is right after Ezra chapter number 6. So if that helps you a little bit. And it's right before Ezra chapter 8. Okay, everybody there? Amen. Okay, here we go. Ezra chapter number 7, verse number 6. The Bible will tell you this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, get this, I love this, according to the good hand of his God upon him. I love verse 10, and this verse 10 was actually uh, my theme verse throughout the summer. My theme verse throughout the summer, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. To teach in Israel statues and judgments. Let's read that verse one more time together. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statues and judgments. The title of my message tonight, and pray for me as we're about to pray here, I'm going to try to communicate this effectively and clearly. I don't want to confuse anybody. And I want to be slow enough so we can all understand what I'm trying to say. I have a tendency to go too fast. But the, ten- the uh, title of my message tonight is If You're Going to Claim It, then you're going to have to live it. If you're going to claim it, then you're going to have to live it. Let's pray together and we'll begin. Dear God, I thank you so much for the privilege uh, to stand behind this pulpit and preach your word. God, thank you for your sufficiency and your love and the salvation that only you can offer. God, thank you for changing my life completely. And even after I got saved, continually helping me grow closer to you. And I know that every Christian in, in here tonight wants to keep growing closer to you. And I pray we will. Help us to understand this fact tonight, that if we're going to claim it, then we have to live it. Lord, encourage us, convict us, help us to grow closer to you. Help me to say nothing I shouldn't, but everything that I should. And may you get all the honor and the glory for it, Lord, through the response, through the message. Through Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, We find that God is delivering His people, which are, of course, the children of Israel, out of captivity to Babylon. And you read that at the very beginning of the passage there in Ezra chapter number 1, how God is laying it on the king's heart uh, to, to send leave or give leave to the Israelites again. They were in captivity for 70 years. And God is giving them deliverance from captivity to Babylon. And He wants to bring them back to the promised land. When God delivered His people from Babylon, there were three things that he, that he wanted to see accomplished. Number one, He wanted to see His temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. And for that, He used a man by the name of Zerubbabel. And if you go back, you'll read about Zerubbabel in the beginning of Ezra. 
The second thing that he wanted to see accomplished was he wanted to see walls built around Jerusalem. And for that, he, he used a man by the name of Nehemiah. He used a man by the name of Nehemiah, and you can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. And then the third thing that he wanted to see accomplished was he wanted to see his people fall in love with him again. He wanted to see his people, the children of Israel, love him and serve him and walk with him and make him more than enough for them. And for that, he used a man by the name of Ezra. And that's who we're going to be looking at tonight, and that's where we pick up in chapter number 7. Ezra is leaving Babylon, and he's going to Jerusalem, as verse 10 shows us, to teach in Israel statues and judgments. And you say, well, why is that so important? Why did Ezra need to go teach Israel? Why did he need to go teach in Israel? After all, didn't God deliver his people out of captivity to Babylon? And so therefore, they're excited. Let's go back to chapter number 6. They are excited in chapter number 6. You'll see there in verse 21. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land, to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat, and kept the feast of unleavened bread. Excuse me, sorry. Seven days with joy. With joy. Get this. For the Lord had made them what? The Lord had made them what? Joyful. And turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God the God of Israel. There in chapter 6, you'll read about the rebuilding of the temple and how it was finally completed. And the people are having real joy and they're real excited because they're serving God. They're living a life that is pleasing to God. But we have to understand, in order for us to get the message tonight, that there's 58 years between chapter number 6 and chapter number 7 of Ezra. There's 58 years that take place in between them. And so within those 58 years, we have a nation that was excited and was joyful and was living for God again. And they were delivered from Babylon. And they were excited that they were there in Jerusalem. And the temple was rebuilt. We find a nation that is on fire for God. But then we find in chapters 9 and 10 of Ezra, and when it starts giving the details, and I encourage you to go read it for yourself, there's a lot in the book of Ezra. And to be completely honest, I don't quite understand it all, but there's a lot in the book of Ezra, and it's a great book to study. But you'll find in chapters 9 and 10 how that the children of Israel have turned their hearts again from God. And they're, they're, the, the Israelites are finding spouses uh, uh, from the Canaanites, and from the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Amorites, and the Ammonites, and the Moabites, and the Egyptians, and, and there's so many different people, that, the, the people that God did not want them to be tangled with, because they were his people. And yea, decided, I, you know, we, we, were, we are free, and, and God has delivered us, but within these years, they're, they're going back to their old ways, and they're going back to living how they want to live, and they desire to do things their own way. And so God had to send a man to them by the name of Ezra. When I come home, um, usually to visit, uh, there's, the first thing I do is I give my mom a hug. That's the first thing I do, believe it or not. The second thing I do is I give Kira a hug. That's the second thing I do. The third thing I do is I give Connor a high five and say, what's up, dude? <laughs> That's the third thing I do. And then I go to the kitchen. That's the fourth thing I do, to find myself a little snack. That's my desire. And whenever I go and I try to find myself a snack, uh, I find about maybe one of two things. If my mom is really kind and she buys what I want at the grocery store, she'll pick up my favorite snacks. My favorite snacks are Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. I, I absolutely adore Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. They hit the spot. Anybody who knows me knows that I love Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. There they are, Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. Or if I'm looking over, they're not, maybe, they're not in the cabinet, but they're in the little fruit bowl there. I find myself an apple. 
Now, now hear me out. I don't, I don't despise apples. I don't really hate apples. They're not that bad, but they're not my favorite. They're not my favorite. But I'll eat an apple because apparently it's, it's healthy for me, right? So, anywho, here we go. We're going to set an apple right over here. Can everybody see that? I hope so. You didn't answer, but that's okay. Maybe will it stand? Stay. Okay, here we are. We have a Nutty Buddy Butter Bars, and then we have an apple. Now, pause. When I'm getting a snack... Which one do you think I want the most? Someone say hallelujah. I want the Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. I'm going to go for these. If I get my preference my way, if I want to eat what I want to eat, I'm definitely going to be hitting up the Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. Because in my mind, that's what's best for me. But in all reality, do you know what's actually probably the best for me? The apple. It's healthier. And for the sake of the illustration tonight, I want us to kind of get in our mind, this is going to be man's way. When they're looking for a snack, they're going to go to the Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. Who's going to eat an apple? Okay, I'm going to be honest. If you got Nutty Buddy Butter Bars or an apple, and all you're like, well, I would eat an apple. I'm like, you're the spiritual ones. That's okay. Not my preference. I'm going to go with the Nutty Butter Butter Bars. This is man's way. This is my way. This is my one. This is my desire. If I'm looking for a snack, I'm going for these. Over here, we're going to look. Tonight, for the sake of the illustration, the apple is, prob- is, is the best. Not probably. It's the best thing for me out of these two. Uh, um, decisions. The apple's best. That's God's way. That's God's desires. That's God's plan for your life. That's what that's going to illustrate for us here tonight. We find Israel, and they're living over here. (laughs) They want what they want. They're looking in the pantry, and they want the Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. They want to do things their way, and they want to live life their way, and they want to marry who they want to marry, and live how they want to live. Sure, God's delivered them, and God's been so good to them, and God has blessed them, but in all reality, they're putting that all aside, and they're saying that, I want to live this life. I want to live for the Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. It's what I want. It's my desire. It's my plan. And so then God calls this man named Ezra. And Ezra comes and he wants to preach to the people. And God lays it on his heart that he wants to come to Jerusalem and he wants to share with them, hey Israel, you're living for yourself again. And this is the reason why you were in captivity in the first place. You're living over here again and God wants you over there. He has a plan for you. He has great things for your life. And he has, he has something so much greater than you could ever even imagine. And he, Ezra wants to tell them, Israel, Let's get back to God. Let's reunite our love for God again. Let's have a walk with God again. Let's pursue Him again. So we're there in Ezra chapter number 7, verse number 9. Let's realize tonight, though, that Ezra is just a man like you and I. He's just a man. So there's some preparation that needs to take place in the life of Ezra. Before he can come and he can tell Israel, hey, Israel, get back to God. There's some things Ezra has to do. Look at verse number 9. Of Ezra chapter number 7, the Bible says, For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. What a statement. The hand of God was upon the life of Ezra. He calls him to come and he calls him to preach to the children of Israel. And the hand of God was upon his life. What an amazing statement. Why was the hand of God then upon his life? What was so special about Ezra? Well, we just answered he was a man just like we were. So clearly he is flesh and bone. But there's a few things that Ezra did that's a lot different than what the children of Israel are doing. Why was the hand of God upon Ezra? Why did God use Ezra in the first place? Verse 10. This is why. For Ezra had prepared his heart. Pause. 
He prepared himself first. Ezra knew that if I'm going to stand before the nation of Israel and proclaim that you have to give back to God and you have to have a relationship with God and you need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength again, that Ezra couldn't just say that while he was partaking of Nutty Buddy Butter Bars. He had to decide that, oh, I have to prepare myself first. So how did he prepare himself? Verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. To seek the law of the Lord. I want you to understand that word prepared there, it means fitted, adapted, made suitable, made ready, provided. That's how Webster's 1828 dictionary defines that. Ezra prepared himself to seek the law of the Lord. We find there in verse number six that Ezra was a ready, which means he was diligent and skillful. He was a ready scribe, which is a writer and a doctor in the law, a man of learning, one skilled in the law. Webster defines it that way as well. In verse 6, the Bible says that he studied the works of Moses. This man is very knowledgeable in the word of God, of course, and how much of the word he did have, which was the law of Moses. His main priority was, listen, not just to share it with Israel. He, he, He sought the law of the Lord, not just so that he could share it with Israel and say, get back to God, but he sought the law of the Lord so he could know it for himself. Ezra prepared his heart first. He says, if I'm going to preach the word of God to others, I therefore have to live out the word of God for myself. And I, know, I want to know what the Bible says. And I want you to pause for just a second, and I don't want to go crazy, but I want you to understand that Ezra, Ezra did not just want to read the Bible for the sake of, of a rule book. He didn't want to look at it and just say, well, there's a law and there's a rule and there's something that I need to do and there's something else. Pause. There is a part of doing, and we're going to get that in just a second. But he read the Bible and his first priority was this. To know God. You have to know the author. If you're going to really read your Bible and you want to know how God wants you to live, the first step to doing that is knowing God. You have to know God. Way too often, and I am so guilty of this, way too often we get in the Bible and say, God, what do I have to do today? God, what needs to change today? God, what exactly do you want me to do here? And in all reality, that is great, and that's not a bad question to ask. Hear me out. That's a great question, and we'll get to that in a second. But the first priority should be, God, who are you? God, how can I know you more? God, God, who exactly are you? Because when you start reading verses such as John 3, 16, and may that verse never get old, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And in your mind, you're like, wow, I have a God who loves me and I have a God who cares about me and I can know a God who wants me to have everlasting life with him. And every page of the Bible, I encourage you, when you read your Bible, in every page, look for God. Look for God. I didn't come up with that originally. I believe I heard Brother Mike Wolfram tell me that uh, at one point or another. In every, every page of your Bible, look for God. Look for who he is. Because in all reality, and I'm going to jump in, in just a second, when you start getting to the rules and the laws and the regulations, which in all reality, they're not as hard as they seem, but so often we start with saying, God, why? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to be this way? Why do I have to follow these rules? Why? Why? Why do I have to? And inside your heart, you're saying, that's dumb. Can I, can I encourage you? Stop asking why. That's a great question for later. But the first question you should ask is who? Who are you? Because when you find out who you're living for, your whys are all connected. When you find out who you're living for and who God is and, and who he can be inside your life, it's a, your whys are answered. Your whys will be answered. How encouraging. Verse, verse number 10 there again. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. His first priority was, I want to know God. I want to know who he is. And then I want to obey him. 
I want to do exactly what he wants me to do. As I said before, when you know who you're serving, it's a lot easier to fulfill your wise as well. It's a, you'll know your wise when you know your who. Who are you living for? Who's the God of your heart? Who's, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Who, who are you trying to please tonight? Well, my parents, not good enough. Well, my pastor, still not the answer. Our desire should be we should live for God, and all your wives are connected to that. All your wives are connected to that. He studied the Bible so he can know God and he can obey Him. And when you know somebody, it's a lot easier to do what they want you to do. When you know somebody, it's a lot easier to do what, what they want you to do. For example, allow me to illustrate. Allow me to illustrate here. When I was younger, my parents would ask me to do something. Not really ask me, but I'll say ask me for the sake of the illustration. Cole, please go clean your room. They didn't say please either, but that's just polite. Go clean your room. Cole, go clean your room. And so here, pause. I had a decision to make. Did I want to obey what my parents wanted me to do, or did I actually want to do things my way? Did I want to do things my way? And so there were times... I know you won't believe this, but there were times that I decided, you know what, I want to do it my way, and I didn't necessarily obey. And I remember one time, and this has nothing to do with anything, but one time I did not clean my room, and my parents went in there, and they cleaned it for me, but guess what that meant? Everything was gone. I'm not kidding. I still have no idea where my G.I. Joes went. I still have no clue. They're still gone. I had two pairs of jeans, two t-shirts, two tennis shoes, my school uniforms, and blankets on my bed. That's it. I'm And some parents are kind, and they're like, I'll give it right back whenever you start obeying me. I still have no idea where any of my stuff is at. (laughs) I've bought a few things since then, but I have no idea where my stuff went. That's what happens when you don't obey. But, but for the sake of the illustration, I, whenever I came to that conclusion, okay, will I clean my room? My parents are saying, go clean your room. Am I going to do it? There were two thoughts that I could think about. Number one, I knew that my dad, my dad loved me. My dad loved me. He worked hard. So I could have a roof over my head. I could wear clothes, nice clothes, and I, and I could wear shoes on my feet, and I could have food on my table, and I could live a comfortable life. And knowing that, I could say, you know what, Dad, I want to obey you because I know that you love me. And if that wasn't good enough for me, I also knew that my dad was a man of justice. <laughs> Somebody say hallelujah. I had a dad, <laughs> a dad who gave you some justice. Hello. Hey, I would have a sword behind if I didn't obey. And all my stuff was gone. All my stuff would be gone. When I knew who my parents were, and I knew who my dad was, it made it a lot easier for me to make the right decisions. No different than that's what Ezra is doing here. He's saying, I want to know God, and I want to do what he wants me to do. Because when you do, it is a lot easier. It is a lot easier to obey him. It is a lot easier to do what he wants you to do when you know who you're living for. The first question shouldn't be, well, why do I have to do that? No, it's who are you living for? Who are you living for? That'll answer a lot of your questions. It'll answer a lot of your questions. And then look at that last part. I love this. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to know God, and to do it, to do what he says, and to teach in Israel statues and judgments. Notice how that falls into the third place there. He didn't teach in Israel statues and judgments first. No, he said, I'm going to know God. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Basically claiming this. Ezra was claiming this. I belong to God. God is enough for me. Therefore, Israel, he is enough for you. Before he could preach to Israel, Israel, God is enough for you. He had to basically say this, God's enough for me. 
I know that God's enough for me. I want to know him and I want to do what he wants me to do because he's more than enough to satisfy me. I love pastor's message this morning. How much is it going to take to make you happy? And so often, and I'm not, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the children of Israel were living there. And Ezra's saying, no, 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 that's not going to make you happy. Running from God's going to leave you to captivity again. I'm going to live right here. God's more than enough for me. And if I don't get everything else Israel has, if I don't have the wife of the Canaanites or the Hittites, if I don't have the families that they have or the houses they have, it doesn't matter to me. Why? Because God is more than enough for me. And if I don't have all the pleasures or the satisfaction that you have, Israel, that's just fine. You know why? Because God is still more than enough for me. And Ezra made it, he purposed in his mind. He prepared his heart. He says, God, I want to know you and I want to obey you and I want to live for you and I want to do what you want me to do. I don't care what Israel's doing because you're more than enough. You're more than enough for me. And not only did he claim it, that's the amazing part. Not only did he claim that God's enough for him, he proved it. Go to chapter 8. Let's go to chapter 8 together. He proved it. Verse number 15. Ezra 8. Verse number 15. The Bible says, And I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahaba. This is Ezra. And there abode we in tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priests, and found there none of the sons of Levi. Then sent I for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, and for Elnathan, and for Jerob, and for Elnathan, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshulam, chief man, also for Joyrib, and for Elnathan, men of understanding. I don't know why I just started the names. Let's go down to 21. I apologize. Then I proclaimed a fast there, at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God. To seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Verse 22, get this. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken unto the king. We've claimed, saying, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this. I love this. And he was entreated for us. How amazing. Ezra is claiming this. God is more than enough for me. And he proved himself. He proved it. Not only did he claim it, but he lived it whenever he went through a trial. And they were there by the river of Ahava. And they're on a journey back to Jerusalem. And there's some men with him. And they find that there in the way, there's some enemies that are preventing them from getting to their destination. And so now he had a choice to make. He could either ask the king who gave, the, who gave them lead to go back to Jerusalem for some reinforcements. Hey, will you come and get the enemies out of our way? We come get them out of our way, and gladly the king would have done it. But he's saying, you know what? I've claimed that God is more than enough for me. Therefore, I'm going to live like it. And I'm going to ask the king of kings to make a way. I'm going to ask the king of kings to give us deliverance. I'm going to ask the king of kings to fulfill his plan for me and bring me to Jerusalem because I know that's where he's leading me. Therefore, I'm not going to ask for secular reinforcements. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the king of kings to make a way for me. And the Bible says that he was entreated for them. And he answered their prayer. And he made a way. He made a way. He came through. When God's more than enough for you, he will always come through. Look at verse number 31. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month. Wow. To go into Jerusalem. Imagine that. Oh, get this. It doesn't end. And the hand of our God was upon us. Still, his hand was upon them. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. And of such as lay in wait by the way. Ezra, look. God's hand was still upon Ezra's life. God was still blessing Ezra. Do you know why? 
Because Ezra said, God is more than enough for me, and I don't need everything Israel has. And so therefore, now he can come over to Israel, and he can say, Israel, listen, God is more than enough for me. Therefore, he is more than enough for you. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to go the way that you were living whenever you first went into captivity. You don't have to go back to your old life. Listen, no, 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 God is more than enough for me. And I know that he can be more than enough for you. And in chapters 9 and 10, you'll find that Ezra, he, he confesses to God first and foremost there in chapter 9, in verse, I mean chapter 10 rather, then he's telling the people, depart from them, separate from them, get away from them. Let's get back to God. Let's get back to the one who is more than enough for us. If he's more than enough for me, he's more than enough for you. He was preaching that. You know why? Because he was living that. Amen. He could preach that. You know why? Because he was living that. And I think we can all agree tonight that we have a nation, a nation such as Israel, that, that was once a, a nation that, I know we're not God's chosen people, and I'm not trying to claim that we're not the Jews, we're not Israel, but I am saying that we did have a nation that was founded on godly principles and godly values, and that once it wasn't weird to hear the Bible mentioned in school, and where it wasn't weird to talk about God. And, in our, and I didn't grow up in that age, but I, I know that that was a thing based upon different testimonies. But get this, we have a nation that once loved God and pursued God, and it wasn't weird that people loved God, and people went to church, and people put him first. But the reality is that now we have a nation who is over here feasting on nutty buddy butter bars who want their own way and want their own desires and are wanting to fulfill their own plans in life. And it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to even hear about kids participating in drag shows. Are you kidding me? We have a nation that is so far from God a nation that is so far from God. And really what God wants is he wants some Ezra's who are living this life right here, who are saying, God is more than enough for me. And I don't need everything else this world has to offer. And who's willing to stand up in the face of our nation and say, no, God is more than enough for me. Therefore, he can be more than enough for you. He wants us to go into the workplace, Christians, and be able to look at our coworkers and say, God is more than enough for me, and therefore he's more than enough for you. He wants us to be able to go to school teenagers and young people and say, listen, God is more than enough for me, therefore he is more than enough for you. You don't need the things that this world has to offer. He wants us to be able to claim that. He wants us to be able to live that. He wants people who are going to stand up and say, God is more than enough. But the reality tonight and this is the sad part, is that so many Christians claim this. They claim God is more than enough, but they're living over here. And they're indulging themselves in the same sin that the rest of the world is indulging themselves in. There are Christians who are watching the same pornography that the rest of the world is watching. And they're saying, well, that's what I want. And there are Christians who are claiming, you know what, God is more than enough for me. And they'll go to church and they'll sing the hymns and they'll sing in the choir and they'll try to proclaim that God is more than enough. But in all reality, they're living for their own earthly pleasures and their own earthly ways. Listen, no, 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 no. They're the same Christians that are listening to the same rock music that the rest of the world is listening to. Yet they're claiming God is more than enough. They're the same Christians that will go to, go to work and they go to school and they don't mind saying the same dirty jokes or laughing at the same dirty jokes or using the same exact language that the rest of the world is using. And yet they'll claim they're Christian. They'll claim that they love God, but in all reality, they're still feasting on their nutty buddy butter bars because they want the exact same benefits in life and pleasure that the rest of the world is living in. 
They want to claim that God is more than enough, and they want to say, well, yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, I'm saved, and yes, my life is different, but they're not living like it. They're not living like it. They're not living like it. They're feasting on anybody butter bars after God's already delivered them. After God's already brought them back from captivity. They're feasting on the old lifestyle once again. And you know what? You'll never make a difference if you're just like everybody else. You'll never make a difference if you're just like everybody else. Well, it's not that big of a deal and I want to have friends and I don't want to be the oddball. Aren't you claiming God is more than enough? Well, I didn't say that. Well, let me help you out here for just a second. If you're saved by the grace of God and you're claiming to be his child, you claim that he's enough for your eternity. Therefore, he should be enough for your temporal life. He should be enough for your temporal life. If you're going to claim that he's more than enough to save you and more than enough to give you a home in heaven, then you should be able to live by the fact that he is more than enough to fulfill your earthly needs. He's more than enough to fulfill you and satisfy you. He's more than enough to make you happy, as was preached this morning. He's more than enough. But no, no, so many Christians are saying, okay, well, that's great, but I still, I still want to live my way. I even know of Christians who will sit in a bar while their buddies are drinking. Well, I'm just drinking water. Really? Really? It happens. You're like, that's crazy. It happens. Christians are no longer standing up and saying, God is more than enough for me, therefore he's more than enough for you. You know why? Because they're living the same exact lifestyle everybody else is living. Well, I don't want to be weird if, if, I'm, if I dress modestly in school. And I don't want to be weird in the workplace if I, if, I, if I dress modestly. But God's more than enough for you. But you're saved. But you're his child. Isn't he more than enough for you? Christian, isn't he enough to satisfy you? Isn't he enough to help you? If you want to make a difference in this nation, if I want to make a difference in this nation, then God wants to use Christians like Ezra who say, you know what? I want a purpose in my heart to know God. And I want a purpose in my heart not just to know him, but then to obey him and to live for him. And that's simple. Those are some simple steps. Living a life that says I want to know God and I want to obey him. That's simple. That's That's what Ezra did. And then to tell others, hey, hey, come over here. It's a lot better This life is a lot better. There's hope in this life. There's not hope in a bottle. There's not hope in a pill. There's not hope in a relationship. No, no, there's hope in a walk with God. He's more than enough for me, therefore he's more than enough for you. You can't make a difference, though, if you're living just like everybody else. God wants to use some Ezra's. And this is the reality. If you're going to claim that God is everything you need, then why not make him everything you want? Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Well, the desires, well, let me help you. If your desires are this, then you're not delighting in the Lord. If, you're, if your desires are this, then you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. You're not walking with him the way that you ought to be. And a lot of times when the question, well, why do I, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to? Why do I have to be different? Why do I have to wear a dress if, if that's your standard? Or why, why, do I, why do I have to wear a tie to church? Or why do I, and you fill in the blank, why do I have to listen to godly music? Or why do I have to, you fill in the blank, there's lots of whys. But if that's your first question, I'm encouraging you, get back to who, who you're living for. And then when you figure out who you're living for, your whys will be answered. Your whys will be answered. Don't claim Don't claim that God is more than enough for you if you're going to live like he's not.
Don't claim that God is more than enough for you if you're going to live like you're not. And that's the simplicity of this message. Ezra couldn't have made a difference in Israel if he was feasting on the same nutty buddy butter bars they were. That's the reality. It's true. Christians, you're not going to make a difference in your nation. You're not going to make a difference in your workplace. You're not going to make a difference in your school. You're not going to make a difference in your neighbor, and you're not going to make a difference in your family. You're not going to make a difference in your kids. You're not going to make a difference in your friends if you're feasting on the same nutty buddy butter bars they are. You're not going to make a difference. You're not going to change their mind if you're living the exact same life that the rest of the world is living. If God is more than enough for you, (laughs) if he's everything that you need, why not make him everything that you want? If he's everything you need, why not make him everything that you want? If you're going to claim it, if you're going to claim he's more than enough for you, then you have to live like it. Father, thank you so much for being so good to us. Thank you for your love and your care. Thank you for delivering us, giving us freedom from captivity and from bondage to sin and to death. God, thank you so much. Help us, God, to claim, not only claim, but live like you are more than enough for us because you truly are. God, become everything we want. Help us to delight ourselves in you more and continually grow closer to you. We love you. Thank you, God, for being so good. It's through Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.